Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about four big mistakes women make in managing other women. As it is Women's History Month, and we're celebrating women who have made a significant impact on our world, it seems fitting to reflect on whether we are following in their footsteps in order to make our own impact. And one area that we have seen a bit of a struggle and frankly been the recipient of is in women leaders managing other women. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a walk in the park to manage men, but there are different emotional triggers and biases that arise here that are worth reflecting on. And women raising other women is critical in continuing to build momentum and space for more women in critical roles that shape business and our world. Yes, and it starts with us. So think of this episode as a rallying effort. It is definitely not judgment. If you know us, you know that is not the way we play. And as a disclaimer, and we remind you of this sometimes, we're not behavioral PhDs. So these are our collective opinions based on almost 40 combined years of being women in business. That's right. And with that, let's jump into four big mistakes women leaders make in managing other women. The first, we had to pay our dues and so must you. Oh, I know. There's going to be a lot of PTSD through this one, man. All right, here we go. All right. Now, there are rites of passages for every role and job. We totally acknowledge that. But women seem to over-index in this department because we feel that the experience somehow toughens us up. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do this. (laughs) Moms do this to us. We do this to our kids. I mean, it really starts even in middle school, elementary school even, And then progresses into high school with this, what we call like the mean girl or the cliques and stuff like that, which even in our day and age, we're seeing our girls go through it. And we're like, seriously, like 20, 30 years later, you know, when the world has changed with regards to our acceptance of other people, we're still going through it. It just seems like mind blowing to me. But then what happens is that we carry that into our careers. We sure do. Right? And many are still, of us women, are still trailblazing through our fields of choice. But instead of, like, clearing the path, uh, a lot of us, and, I mean, we'll raise our hands and say it's, you know, we were at fault in some of this, too. We'll clear the path and hold the brush back and all just long enough, though, for us to get through. And then we kind of let it overgrow again. <laughs> and others have to kind of find their way back through it. And so there's a question within that, an inherent question within that, which is, like, why is there this tendency that, you know, we we as women trailblaze, we clear these paths, but then we don't, like, really clear them out, pave them, create a map for them. So here's some reasons that me and April think this is the case based on our experience. And really, um, the thing through this is that they're very much rooted in pride and ego. So again, this is not judgment, but this is just a personal reflection of like, hmm, are these kind of like hitting me in like a weird way? And if you say, I don't do that, if you're very quick to say, I don't do that, might be one that you might want to look at. So one is we don't want people to think it was easy. 
right? And that's just the women trailblazing mentality is that if we have to work and we have to toil and we, you know, do all this stuff in order to get there, we don't want to think it's really easy to do that. So that's kind of the pride and ego piece talking. We don't want others to fast follow and maybe overcome us or do it better than us. Again, it kind of goes to the fact that we don't want it to be that easy. We want it to, to, to showcase that it was something that took a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of savviness in order to, to make happen. And not just anybody can do that, right? We enjoy being the one and only. This is what society is kind of setting up, that it's very special. It's, it's a moment of pride. It's a, something that you can take away from this extreme value of what you contribute to the world to be the first, to be the only. So that's what kind of society is teaching us. Some of us are afraid that we're going to appear as uh, or being called feminist, right? That we only cultivate females and we don't even think about the bigger scope of what the talent pool is. And for some of us, we enjoy our position of power. I mean, we like sitting up there. We like feeling we're at the top of the pyramid, especially when it comes to, to females. So again, this is not judgment. It's just to kind of just get something kind of going in your head saying, hmm, have I done that? Is that something that kind of triggers me? As bad as it makes me feel, is that something that triggers me? And we just need to remember that even when we do trailblaze, the females who follow will actually need to trailblaze too. I mean, we've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not stopping with us. They're going to have to pay their dues. It's just going to look different. They're going to need to add to the path. They're not going to have to take care of the path. They're going to have to make the path longer and wider. So by not doing what we can do to make it easier for them to follow, we're really limiting our own future success because there is a lot to maintain, and it's way too much for a person of one. Yeah, this one really honestly makes me a little sad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I felt that way when I first read it, when you first wrote it, and I kind of got stuck a little bit in that, like, mean girl as you're growing up. And, I mean, I, just last week I was having a conversation with someone and they're like, oh, little girls are so mean, right? Yeah. And I've been, you know, so that that's kind of been in my head. But I'm like, I do feel like the world continues to change so much. And there, while so many things have happened for women on the positive side, women getting in the way of other women is just something that like doesn't sit well. And I'm not saying that as a judgment thing. I'm generally saying it as like a personal sadness that I feel when I see that happening. Um, And also I think there's just so much on the other side benefit when you see the opposite of this happen, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'll use our mastermind group as an example, right? And we don't all work together and, you know, we're all in different positions and all of that. So it's not apples to apples exactly. But I always leave those sessions uh, like feeling like I'm lighter. I've gotten the yeah. comments from others that they feel lighter. You know, we're talking about some tough things. We're being vulnerable with each other, but nobody's judging where people have made mistakes. And I'm like, oh, it could just be so much better. So, yeah, I I totally agree. And I, t- I totally agree that there's still this mentality of having to toughen us up. Yes. And, and there is some element of that. And there's definitely reality that that comes in and sits right like squarely within that. But this idea of like having the limit, mm-hmm. it, it's, it feels, yeah, to you said, it makes me sad. And it just feels to- totally counterintuitive to what we are trying to encourage our own daughters or mm-hmm. our own nieces or, you know, our own like people that we, you know, we mentor, you know, all those sorts of things. It just feels so contrary to that. So, mm-hmm. 
this is all about kind of getting in alignment, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, I even like you said, we do it to our daughters, right? You know, with before Mia was even born, I bought her this thing for her wall that said she believed she could, so she did. Yeah. And that's the right, right thing, right? Like that's yeah. the tone that I want to promote with her. But that is a toughening up sentiment, to your point. Yeah. It's like it starts from there. Totally right on. All right. The second big mistake women leaders make in managing other women is thinking we are more special than other females. <laughs> April. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. So we had the previous point here where we talked about, you know, enjoying the position of power and wanting to sit Mm -hmm. there. And and like Anne said in the setup, you know, the first or the only or, you know, all those types of terms that are used that society doesn't help with this situation. Um, And the first thing I want to say here is, look, we never want to diminish anybody's success, right? Or sense of self-worth or anything. And if you have achieved anything in life, you should always be proud of your achievements. But what we do see, and we see this through our personal experience, but then we also see this through coaching, quite frankly, is that smart women can sometimes have a hard time acknowledging other smart women Mm -hmm. or that they are as smart or more smart than them. Mm-hmm. And again, it's back to that first thing, right? First woman CEO, first woman vice president, first woman to do this or that. It feels like there's only space for one. And so, of course, when we have these singular points of reference and on one side we're celebrating them, they are limiting us on the other side. And really, it's not the reality. So, In any one company, right, there's likely many females who are smart and talented, can rise to executive level jobs um, and can be like nominated or put forth for that early in their careers. But the people that actually make it to the top, there's a lot of other things that go on at the same time that have nothing to do with whether or not I'm more capable than someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have things and and this was actually a male example, but I remember a client where um, there was someone else who should have been nominated as CEO and it was just that he was too close to the end of his career and he hit Mm -hmm. this like weird middle spot, right? And so from a timing perspective, it didn't make sense even though he was totally qualified to do the job, right? Or, you know, sometimes there's, you know, you make a pivot in your career path. It's not to say you couldn't have headed straight up that ladder, but you decide to go in a different route and then, you know, that's not the same opportunity. Um, There's all kinds of things at play here. And so we're talking about this being a starting point, right, about overcoming. There's a lot of things we need to say together that we're going to go and do. And unfortunately, on the other side of that, we have to know that there are going to be situations where we might promote something and not end up as the person in the position of power. And I think we just all have to be okay with there being room for everyone at the table and that the room at the table can mean all kinds of different things to different women. I mean, one of the things that I will stick in my head forever is after having a lot of the bad situations of, you know, being pushed down or you're not ready for that or you don't you shouldn't be speaking to that or all of these types Mm -hmm. of things. I had a boss at my last agency who hired me, who I still to this day am very close to. And she would openly tell people I hired April because I knew that one day she could take my job from me. Mm-hmm. And it was like such an uplifting, liberating. liberating feeling to have someone say that and acknowledge that so openly and have the inner confidence in herself and her abilities as well as mine 
to be able to make that statement knowing that there's a lot of people that wouldn't do that. I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good example. Because going back to what you're saying about I mean, on one side, the way the society is really advocating for it is great to see the recognition for these women who've worked really hard. But it's also somewhat like a backhanded compliment. Oh, totally. Like, because it's like, totally. oh, so now women are finally smart enough to be CEO. I'm like, uh-huh. that's kind of what it feels like to some extent. And maybe that's my like little twist on it. But that's kind of how I feel when I see this. It's like. There's not just that woman happened to be yeah. like the only one and we were just waiting yeah. for her to come up. It's like, no, there's processes that are like they're still not conducive to helping women rise. Mm-hmm. I mean, simple things like mat leaves when you're out of circulation yeah. for three months to a year in order to raise your kids. I mean, there's lots of things that kind of go into how this works. Right. And the one thing, though, that we can control as women is making sure we're not making it harder for other women to rise up. Mm-hmm. And that's about, like you said, like, you know, providing that opportunity. So it's not necessarily about making it a pyramid of intellect and knowledge. It's about saying, oh, you know what? People help me. Like, I needed this opportunity. I needed this support. I needed these advocates. I am going to in pay kind, back. reciprocate yep. and pay that back. And yes, to everybody, but specifically, we're going to talk about women here. And I think, you know, the thing, the funny thing is, is that men do this very well, mm-hmm. right? We call them boys clubs. Like we, we as women are like mm-hmm. struggling with the fact that uh, another boys, another club. boys club, they're going to go play golf. They're going to go out to, you know, <laughs> go watch sports and March Madness at the bar and, you know, this and that and the other and trying to get in the boys club. It's like, there's no reason why we can't have girls clubs. Yeah. Right. We should have girls clubs, but we don't do it in that way. We don't try to find those ways of being able to come together in really authentic experiences Mm -hmm. that forms the same level of camaraderie as these boys clubs have done. But we should take that as like, hey, that's a model Mm -hmm. that we could replicate, but we're doing it so poorly. Yeah, totally. So the third mistake women leaders make in managing other women is we see our female direct reports as competition. (laughs) Oh, I, I kind know. of already said this, but yeah, okay. I feel yeah. like I'm going to groan at every one of these. I know. Go I ahead, feel like, I feel like, but I feel like this is such an important topic, and I feel it's like somewhat therapeutic. Um, so I felt this many times in my years at PNG with my female bosses, and honestly, I still like really to this day struggle with that dynamic, and I never actually, to be totally honest, could fully manage it. It was just something that was just so absurd to me, but it was definitely a feeling that they were afraid that I was going to take over their job or do it better than what they were doing to kind of the extent that we were talking about before about actually having to go through the the, the, the the steps and the process and blazing trails and because they had to go do it, right? Or they think they know the way to do it and so they want you to do it exactly like they did. That can happen too, yep. for sure. But there seemed to be like this, like, again, this fear or this insecurity or this trepidation, which I didn't see with their male direct reports. It just was not there. It felt like they were cultivating them to take a job, but they felt like if they cultivated me, I would be taking their specific job. And as I reflect back on it, I really think, again, the scarcity mindset did create an insecurity. And then that's another consequence of how society is really trying to celebrate women, but kind of doing it in, I think, a way that feels a little backhanded. Now, it didn't also help that I was like a super achiever, a super overachiever, a big thinker. I was always trying to push the limits of the system to create new and innovative insights. That was my thing. I was always trying to push. 
it just made my field my bosses uncomfortable. Like they didn't know exactly what to do with me, especially if I started getting traction from my ideas. That even made it worse. So I did feel like, as you were saying, April, I kind of felt like sometimes being ch- I was being checked. I was told to play smaller. I was told to manage my expectations. But I distinctly felt, and I still do today, that it was some way of leveling. And I'll give you an example. And this was like early on in my career where my boss went on maternity leave. And so this is like a kind of a double entendre here. So she went on maternity leave. She was gone for like six months. I was one of the like the pseudo people to kind of back her up. So there was a couple of us that, that um, and another female actually that we took over her responsibilities. In the process, I saw an opportunity to like streamline some of the work we were doing and kind of think about the work differently. Again, like I was always trying to push the limits. I tried to enroll my other female counterpart who was um, – she was like working alongside with me in order to to take this over. When my boss got back, my female counterpart threw me under the bus, said, oh, when you were gone, Anne took this over and she changed this and she changed that. Now, didn't mind it. It was working and it was working actually very, very well. And I did collaborate them. I did bring them along. So this was like a total like rug pull for me. And my boss was just like, we're not doing that anymore. And I'm like, what do you mean we're not doing it anymore? It's working. And she goes, well, you did that when I was gone, and I don't want to hear about it anymore. Ooh. And I was like, wait a second. So, of course, she's feeling insecurity being gone that something happened, I think. This was my interpretation. That something happened while she was gone that showed that maybe she's not as necessary to the work as that she wanted to feel. And then this other person who felt like I was shining a little bit more than she was aligned with my boss to basically throw me underneath the bus. So... These things just there's just no reason for them. I don't even understand why that dynamic should have even been the case because my boss should have been like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. I can't believe I was gone and you took over and you made all of these strides. And this makes me feel so proud of the fact that, you know, I've developed this group and, you know, and, and they can operate like this without me. I mean, that's what I was hoping for. And and I think that's what, what I want to really um, pass along to a lot of these you know, leaders who are having these strong females that are really trying to rise up is give them the permission to do that. Kind of like your boss did, April. It's like, I expect you to take over my job. That's why I hired you. You should want that because someday you're supposed to be going up or mm-hmm. going someplace else as well. So ask them, hey, how can I help you? What can I do to support you? And then actually do that, mm-hmm. like actually help and support in a very productive way. And instead, change your legacy. And then this is the mindset that I think we need to see shift despite what society is doing and saying instead of like I was the first or I was one of the only women to fill in the blank, it should be I enabled other women to mm-hmm. fill in the blank. So that's just a little bit of my personal experience coming to bear that I wish would be different now. Yeah, and I have a couple couple things to say just on various points that you made there. I mean, the first thing is, and you know, you, you mentioned maternity leave before and then in this example, and I think that there needs to be a lot more um, grace and help, I mm-hmm. think, with with that. Because there is so much, I mean, emotion that physically happens when you have children, so many hormones and all those things. And then it is very jarring if you're a professional woman to leave the workforce for however long, three months, right. a year, whatever. And then just when you're kind of like almost, I don't want to say used to it, then you get shoved back into the work, right? And I just think that like 
there's no transition, there's no assistance, there's no like exactly what happened to you. And I'm not excusing that situation because that's bad behavior all around. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying like that's another thing that I think societally we just don't get right. Mm-hmm. And we've never really taken it on to figure out what to do about it to make it better and easier so that you don't have to worry about your job in addition to everything else that you're worrying about. So that, that's the first thing that I will say. The second thing that I will say is that I don't understand why, and we've talked about this a lot across varying topics here, but I don't understand why it's a negative if they're on your team and they're excelling. That should be a positive reflection of you and who you are as the leader. And so I think if we could all just take that perspective more, um, I... I just, well, we would all be so much better off. But I mean, I think that that's the way you want to look at it. Because as you rise through the ranks, like you said before, and you can't do everything as a person of one. But also the way that you get better is by building a team beneath you that does more and more and more and more so that you can continue to rise. And a different boss that I had, and as as you're talking, I'm like, man, I had some really bad ones for sure. But I had some really good ones too. So I'll bring some positive light to this episode. But I had this boss that... Um, we couldn't have been more different. Mm -hmm. And I was quite a bit younger than her. And our, my work style is similar to Anne's. So it's like hard charger, you know, get the work done, power through all of that. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's not how this other woman was. She was, she wanted to have all the information and really dig and, you know, was happy going down holes and coming back out. And one of the most brilliant minds that I've worked with for sure. Um, But our approach to the work was different. What we valued was different. How we wanted to show up was different. I mean, it just couldn't have been more different, right? And so instead of trying to mold me to be like her, which would have killed my spirit, She identified very early on and very quickly what I was great at and how to cultivate that and what I needed to learn and how to get me to listen and learn it. Mm -hmm. And it was on the heels of, quite honestly, a really bad boss. And she watched that whole situation go down. And so when I got to be on her team, I mean, it was tricky because we were friends. She'd Mm -hmm. been an outlet for me in the situation. And now we were going to, you know, boss report. And like I said, there was a real disparity. She's at the director and I'm early on in my career, right? And she was one that gave me the name of hard charger. That's what she always called me. You're the hard charger, the one, you know, and I, I assign you something and you're going to go do it. But on the other side of that, she was like, I also know if I assign you something that you're not ready for yet, you're still going to go do it. And then you're going to be mad at yourself if you don't do it the way you think it should have been done because you're not ready for it. Right. Yeah. So like, that's what I'm talking about here. And, I, you know, the points about identify what they're good at help cultivate it push for it curate assist support all of those types of things i think this one is just such a good point and that if we could stop being competitive which is a lot of times the problem the ego and all of that kind of stuff i just think that so many of the strong female leaders would be so much stronger yeah i totally agree with you on that that's really well said all right the fourth big mistake women leaders make in managing other women is we try to be like men April. (laughs) Um, Yes, unfortunately, this happens. It's kind of like that. If you can't beat them, join them situation, I feel like. Or you don't don't have a choice, so I better join them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And we talked about the boys club, and there is something to be said for that. Like, if you are in a situation where 
the leadership is male, which I've been in many times, and then there's you as part of the leadership team. That's also like a real sticky place to be in. In any case, we don't advocate for this one at all. Yep. Because number one, as the leader, you're the role model, right? And so that's true if you're male or female. But if we don't celebrate our feminineness, is that a word? <laughs> Femaleness. <laughs> um then we are discounting the things that are really important and differentiating about us and cause, again, barriers instead of things that can work for us. Because mm -hmm. we're associated with skills like empathy and caregiving and a more gentle approach. And I know that sometimes these are played off as weak, right? And male male perspective can be that really it should be the opposite, right? They should be the ones that are tough and yell and fight and throw their mm -hmm. weight around and all of that kind of stuff. But when you try to be something that you're not in any situation, but certainly in this one, you, you're trying too hard to go against the grain of what makes you you. And it's it can be debilitating to the point where, you know, you have burnout and mental health issues and all of these types of things. But again, you're getting in your own way by acting like that. And then you're not serving as a positive example for what female leadership can be at its very best because you're trying to play into a different arena. And this was a one that was really hard for me to embrace for a really long time because I do fall on the tougher end of the spectrum. And mm -hmm. I do tend to lean into that. I'm super competitive. I am very type A. I like things done the way I like them done. And I have very strong opinions. And those characteristics fit a profile of a more dominant female, right? And so I had a hard time being vulnerable for a really long time. I mean, even if things went to shit, I mean, I would not let anyone see me have, you know, any kind of look other than like determination on my face. And I never wanted to cry at work. Like it was mm -hmm. just, I'm not a crier anyway. I still see it as a weakness. There's probably a lot of psychological things associated with that. Whatever. I did not want to shed tears because I did not think that that was um, appropriate for the work environment. Right. But now, honestly, that I am older and maybe sometimes wiser. Um, <laughs> I am a mom also. I think that one of the things that I always used to say is that I wish that my worlds could just be more fluid, right? And that's the reason that I went on my own at the very foundation. I didn't want to have to be in an office from nine to five. I didn't want to have to have such a structured life to where my family fit here and my work fit here. But all of that, once once those walls came down and I was able to do it, I really leaned into a space of vulnerability and allowing people to see that I wasn't perfect and that I wasn't buttoned up all the time. And you know what? The peek behind the curtain sometimes was, hey, my world was a shit show five minutes ago and then I joined this call and I had to suck it up, right? Mm -hmm. And also sharing that with other women in my life. And granted, I mean, Anne and I don't have the typical structure of reports, right? But we do have a ton of people that work and do work on our behalf and work for us in certain capacities. And so the same way that we've talked before that Anne and I are really honest and vulnerable with each other, we're the same way with the teams. And we are very transparent. And I have never felt more like myself 
than I do today because I stopped doing exactly what we're talking about here. Stiff upper lip and, you know, and, and like I said, in a lot of instances, especially as I rose through the agency ranks, I often was one of the only females at that level. Mm-hmm. And so I think once I could shed all of that, I would say that's one of my biggest lessons in life is that I was saying it as I want my life to be more fluid. But what I really needed was to inject my womanness, vulnerability, feelings, um, perspective of the whole view, not just of what was happening in the business, but from a life standpoint. And it's really what got me, I think, to coaching. Because when I'm on coaching calls with our clients, and I think it's a key differentiator for what we do in our business, and yes, I'm plugging, but I'm also, I really do believe this, is we talk just as much about what's going on holistically Mm -hmm. as we do about specific business instances so that we can assist at that higher level and help those people understand why and how they're all involved, right? And we're not doctors, we're not PhDs, but we we are always speaking from that place of experience. And when I can relate and offer perspective, it just opens up the relationship more. And I just believe it's more helpful. Yeah. And I I think you made so many really fabulous points. And I go back to the fact that there's so many people talking right now about culture and and more of like workplace culture, especially Uh amongst COVID and everything that's kind of going on. And there's so many people searching for how do you fix the culture. So I'm going to be so bold as to say that the reason why the culture has been so broken is because it has been dominated by males for so long. Ooh, I'm going to say, go there. I'm gonna say that. Right. And, because there, and because of that, it, it's starting to become very mononuclear. Like it looks the same everywhere. And, and so that's why the leadership style that is expected, quote unquote, feels like it's a very male-dominated style. like, And that doesn't mean, like you said, and I am the same way, you, you don't have some male characteristics uh-huh. or what's traditionally defined as male characteristics about being tough, being very direct, having a big, loud voice and a big presence. That can work for a female if that is your personal brand. It does not work if it's not your personal brand. Yep. And I say all that because as women, if we want these cultures to become more balanced in the way that people are able to be in them and have them more free-flowing, like you said, like blur the lines a little bit. You need that touch of feminism that comes in and provides that balance. Mm -hmm. And if you are, as a female leader, are working too much to feel like your male counterparts, to fit with your male counterparts, you are doing a disservice to all the people below you, and especially the women who see you now as a model and are going like, Oh, okay. So when I get to this level, I'm no longer able to act like this, right? Mm-hmm. And that is really debilitating. And it goes from things as much as like you said of, hey, if I'm a mom and a leader, uh, yeah, I'm going to leave at five. I'm going to go pick up my kids. I'm going to take them to practice. I'll be back on at nine. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not going to be back on tonight because I have this and this and this. That signals to the your female uh, d- direct reports or people who are in your organization. I'm like, oh, I can be a mom and successful mm-hmm in this company at the same time, that keeps people motivated. It keeps people in. It keeps retention up. I mean, the other one is like even just in a general circumstance, and I see women do this way more than men, even though I have seen some men do this too. It's like my group is burnt out. I mean, mm-hmm. women are just more intuitive to noticing that and in, in, in understanding that. And so I'm going to give everybody a mental health day, right? 
or I need to take a mental health day because I'm burnt out. So therefore that everybody else is like, oh, if I'm feeling burnt out, I have the grace and I'm allowed to take the mental health day. Mm-hmm. You know, so it starts to set these different dynamics. And I know I have a, you know, a bunch of men are be like, I do that. I do that. And I'm like, great. I'm glad that you guys do that. But we're speaking specifically to women leaders here that, that they have to do that in order to be able to set the model and set the precedent for the people and the women that are coming up. And by the way, Men that I know who have women leaders who act like the, what we're talking about with regards to really exhibiting their feminism appreciate that mm-hmm. because it gives them an ability to actually have um, a little bit of exposure to that and actually have some vulnerability, actually be able to be a dad if they mm-hmm. want, you know, and and, and be, have that flexibility. So it's beneficial for everybody, but somebody has to be the model. And, yep. and unfortunately, we need to break a little bit of what's going on here in order to be able to have that take hold even more strongly. Yep. All of that for sure. Yeah. All right. So just to recap, four big mistakes women leaders make in managing other women. We had to pay our dues and so must you. As you trailblaze, don't let the path close up behind you. Remember, all those who come after will pay their dues. They will just look a little different. Number two, thinking we are more special than other females. Recognize smart women and help create opportunity for them to rise. Number three, we see our female direct reports as competition. Don't let a scarcity mindset create insecurity. And number four, we try to be like men. Don't shed your femaleness in favor of the more stereotypical leadership characteristics that have long been practiced by males in leadership roles. All right, our next segment is in the trenches. This is going to give real-world examples. I'm sure there's going to be more examples from me and April's world as well as um, the folks that we coach. Um, but we hope that you'll be able to internalize these and then be able to apply them to to your own life, whether you're male or female. All right. So the first one, I would say my female boss has the opposite problem. Sometimes I feel like she tries to be the mama bear to everyone. Is this better than being too much like a man? April, what do you think about that? All right. So here the pendulum has swung too far the other way. And that's not me saying this because I have some of those stronger alpha female characteristics. That's me objectively looking at the situation and saying, no, you're not trying to be like a man, but you're way too far on the other side of caring for your team as if they are your own children, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I look at it as. And I think that this can be detrimental for many reasons, but the, the crux of it is that it ends up limiting the growth of your other junior team members because you try to break down every barrier for them. And I yep. equate this to helicopter parents, right? It it really is that childlike reference because you see the importance of your role as being able to defend, deflect, um, take on all the pain, protect, protect all yep. of that kind of stuff. And when you do that, those other folks don't get the experiences, the ability to fail, the tough conversations, the places where they have to problem solve on their own, all the things that are well, they typically called the softer skills of business, but the most valuable skills in your not only your career, but your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of what I really never liked about this is when you put yourself squarely in the role as being the caretaker and caregiver from a mother perspective within the office. Yeah. And so, Ann always uses this reference, and I think it's a good one of like, okay, if the team's having a bad week and you pick up bagels on the way to to work or whatever, cool. That's exactly right. Anyone Mm -hmm. should do that. 
if you go home and spend four hours baking cookies and then bring those in and, you know, that's kind of your role consistently in the organization, that's kind of the wrong, yeah, <laughs> the wrong thing. I mean, it just, it leans too much into the homemaker, wife, stay-at-home space. And I'm not saying that if you love to bake, you shouldn't bring in cookies. That's not what we're saying here, right? At all. But I think it's just an example that can transcend what we're speaking about here and where those boundaries are. Um, and I I also think it's in the way that you carry yourself and the way you communicate and the reason for some of those perceptions around women being too soft. That's where this comes mm-hmm. from. And it is unfortunate, but it is what it is. And really specifically, it sets up the wrong example for the other women on the team, but it also encourages them to go against their own grain. If this is the way you are, they think that that's the way that they have to be on one side, or they shy away so much that it creates a barrier between you and them because of the professional nature of the environment and what it should look like. And that's obviously mm-hmm. where I fall, if you didn't hear me saying that already. Um and again, it's not saying that you can't like your employees. It's great if you like your employees and you're, you know, you go out for drinks, all those things we've talked about before. That's wonderful. But there are professional barriers for a reason, and some of them are not meant to be broken. And this is one of them. Yeah. And I know people are probably like, well, that sounds like, you know, a silly example with the bagels and the cookies. But it's actually very, very telling because you kind of remember that you're you're sending up cues. Yeah. Right. So have you ever in ever your experience, April, had a man bring in home baked cookies or home baked anything? I'm, I'm thinking so I can be really honest. No. I, I never, ever. They brought in cookies that their wife has baked, mm-hmm. right? So you have to kind of just be mindful of some of these cues. And if they're really important to kind of set the stage for how you want people to treat you, mm-hmm. right? And so that, you know, the, with the bagels, that's like a sign of like, yes, I respect the fact that you guys are going through a lot. Let me try to help. Mm-hmm. The cookies are like, I care for you like mm-hmm. like a mom. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to protect you, care for you, nurture you, that kind of thing. It has a different vibe. Yeah. If you're not seeing that, then you probably need to have a little bit more introspection into why you may not be seeing that. Because a lot of people in that context like that, mm-hmm. right? They like to feel like they're nurturing, taking care of. Another example, and we see this a lot, April, is when you're in a situation, especially with females and females, and you're sharing things, and then you want to go solve it for them in their yeah. personal lives, right? That's fine if you have that relationship outside of work. Yep. But as a boss, you should never be trying to solve the personal lives of any of your direct mm-hmm. reports, but especially your females. Now, the way that looks differently is like, okay, let me help you with the work while you deal with your personal life. And oh, by the way, here's some resources that might help yep. you. Right. But do not try to solve their personal lives for them. I mean, that's just it's not the context for which you're trying to set up the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because you're not BFFs. That starts blurring the line a lot with regards to what role you're playing within the lives of these females. Like I said, if you have a personal relationship outside, then you can probably talk about it and nurture it outside. But you have to be very, very careful with how you interact to make sure that you're maintaining that professionalism that says, I am the leader, I am the boss, I'm the manager, you're my direct report, and we're going to maintain this, this relationship in a way that's professional but caring. I care about you as a human, I'm definitely going to do that, but I am not going to nurture you and be your mother and work, right? Well, and I do have to offer one caveat because I do know that this person listens and it's kind of a hysterical situation because one of the most 
alpha female women that I ever worked for is a trained pastry chef. That's different. So if you are that, that's another profession that you have. <laughs> that's that... called marketing. <laughs> exactly. That's called trial and sampling. <laughs> that's a totally different thing. But we would always just laugh because on one side, you know, she was this super strong, like you would never guess it. And then her little like hidden uh, little known fact always was like, and I'm a trained pastry chef. And everyone would be like, OK. And then she'd bring in this crazy, you know, whatever. for, And it was like she could bake all the holiday things and she, you know, and like her brown butter cookies would melt in your mouth. And, right. You if know. you use it as leverage, yeah. do it. And so that's Absolutely. what she did. So anyway, <laughs> anyway just putting that out there. No, that's that was a different a good situation. Cap- yeah, that was a very different situation, but good caveat. <laughs> All right. The second in the trenches question. I hear you about how many women's groups can feel more like support groups than girls clubs. How can we become more like a quote unquote girls club? And I know I just want to make a point here that it is fine. And, and April mentioned in our mastermind, I'm going to talk about that more here um, in a second, is that if you're sharing these things like that are life related and you want to get that perspective because our lives blend between work and life, that is totally fine. What we're talking about when it starts feeling a little bit like it's too centered on the rah-rah inspiration, like yep. we're just here to kind of share our stories and then hopefully somebody feels something that kind of led them to do some sort of action. When you don't provide prescriptive mm-hmm. action, that's when those groups start feeling more like venti sessions or therapy sessions. So that's where you you have to kind of figure out why you're in there because you may need actually a therapist instead of this group if it's supposed to be set up to be more of a business group. Well, and I would say they're throwaway sessions to me because I'm like, you know, women are powerful. Women can do anything. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And then I'm like, so what am I supposed to yeah, do? Yeah, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> do what? What's next? <laughs> so we'll, we'll say, like, to, to really address how to, like, form a, a girls' club, it's actually a philosophical and a tactical approach to this. So the first, from a philosophical point, is that you must advocate for one another. It's been the underlying theme from a lot of things that we said. But depending on the nature of the club, this can be – internal advocacy or it could be external advocacy. So for example, women's business networks that are advocating other women for business that they see as an opportunity is a great external advocacy, like to share that and say, you know, we love it when folks say, hey, you know, you really need to go work with uh, April and Anne from Forthright People. Yep. They are going to be able to bring a perspective to your business. Like that is an external advocacy that helps to propagate and, and make businesses really flourish. Now, there's the other part of internal advocacy. This is when you might be in an organization and there's positions open for you know, new jobs, new promotions, that sort of thing, where you're advocating for certain females to rise with within the organizations with stakeholders or with their future bosses or whatever that looks like. There's a couple different ways advocacy can look, but the point is, is that you're advocating, you're connecting, and that has to be essential part of whatever girls club you're trying to create. Again, that's what the boys do really, really, really well, (laughs) right? Now, from a tactical standpoint, you need to make sure that your group um, has a business purpose. And this is what we just talked about. So like, for example, our mastermind that we're getting ready to scale. So if you're interested in that, let us know. Um, It's called Women of Influence. And this is a group that we pulled together to specifically talk about all the ways that women can work to improve the way that we influence. Right. So now we do talk about other problems that challenges us 
in the context of influence. So we have a, a specific section at the very beginning. We're like, hey, what's on your mind? What's coming up for you? It definitely helps us kind of determine how we're going to frame that mastermind as yep. well as it determines what other topics we might need to have. But then we also have a very specific agenda. We have homework. And that homework requires some sort of assessment, some reflection. We have discussion topics. It's all very formulaic in order to be able to have something that's very actionable at the end. That doesn't mean the conversation is formulaic. It's in the formulaic in a way that makes sure that what we're going to propose and the flow that we have creates something that our females can go and take away and then put action against. So those are things that we, you really need to focus on and really think about as you're creating your, your, your girls club, how you want to formulate that up, what that group looks like. Give it a business purpose, but make sure advocacy is at the center of it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest here. When Ann first proposed doing a mastermind, it took me a little bit to get my mind around it because I'd had too much exposure to when things didn't go right. 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 And I was like, the thing that I was most petrified of was making it a waste of time for someone. And so I think that the way that we have structured it and we're still changing it and growing it, quite honestly. But I think that when everyone comes in knowing what the topic is for that time mm-hmm. and having done some thinking, homework, et cetera, before it. There's an ability to jump into a meaningful conversation, even if you don't necessarily know all of the people super well, and get to a place where you're having a very insightful, mature conversation that's assisting the people around the table that doesn't often happen if they're, you know, in their work environment. Right. And for me, I have this totally weird thing, which Anne makes fun of me for. Like when my worlds collide, I sort of freak out. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> the ask from Anne for our mastermind was for me to be the one to bring people because we didn't want everyone coming from the same place, right? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying, Anne, that all of your contacts are from P&G. But in any case, it that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So not to be offensive because sometimes I do make fun of P&G. I'm not saying P&Gers can't be a part of this, right? All I'm saying is that – Because of how many different companies I worked for and how many different types of clients I've served, I had a more ripe network for the right profile of person we were looking for. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, it was painstaking and it took me a very long time to say that, yes, I would bring these people together. And I had a a long time, a long time. And it took me a whole like I had so much anxiety going into it. I was like slap happy. And Bryce had to tell me, like, calm down. You know, all these people really well. I don't know what your problem is. So anyway, all of that to say. Wine and charcuterie helps. too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All of that to say, I am so happy that we did it. And I, from my personal standpoint, even though I know all of the women well, I know everybody the best of everybody, I, my relationships have grown individually with those folks. And I think the professional respect has grown significantly. Even though we already had a high level of respect for each other, I just feel like it's elevated. And I think that's why this piece is so important. And Anne's point about advocacy and connection and what I was saying about the level of conversation you can have, 
It is important. It is a huge outage. And my biggest push for us as we do look to expand is to protect the integrity of what we have created Mm -hmm. because I don't think that it exists in very many places. And I, as a, not a naysayer, but a a nervous, what's it called? Nervous Nervous Nelly. Nervous Nelly. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy with it, and I think it is valuable. But I do think you have to be real careful because it was a hard thing, like I said, for me to swallow when I had this perception in my head. Yeah, and I think you brought up a two really good points. One is um, there's a structure to it. Yep. There's a strategy to it. It's yep. not like, hey, let's just bring a bunch of you know folks together, you know, yep. and just have a group. It's like there's a, a an element of like mindedness. Or like needed. And for us, it was like we were looking for certain women in certain positions that need that element of other women to, one, create a safe place for them to have conversations that they don't feel comfortable having within their own businesses. Right. So that was really the, the, the folks that we were trying to bring in. And these are high performing women. Yes. Right. So this is not like a support group to help you if you're not like doing well and to commiserate and all those sorts of things. We specifically said, this is not a commiserating group. This Mm -hmm. is an action-oriented group. Share something that's going on. We're going to help you solve it. Like This is like that kind of a group. And that, I think, was what drove the the cohesiveness um, around it. So I think you made a really good point about the fact of being intentional in the group that you're creating. Guys, when they create their boys clubs, are definitely intentional with the groups that they're creating. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually a, a, an interesting model, and it makes me so like irritated that they get it right because <laughs> they do. They get it right all the time. And the other thing that they do really well, which we don't do so well on our side, is they don't have arbitrary networking. Yeah. Right. I think that's that's the way that we like a lot of females just tend to solve for it. It's like, oh, let's just have a networking event. We're all wheat and have one. But like, that's fine. And that creates a nice informal environment for women to get to know other women. But then what? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the outcome of that? What are we trying to achieve? It feels like it needs some structure in order to make it more productive, more action oriented. Because, yes, it creates that like. I have like an informal way to meet other women, but the shared experience yep. is really what drives the cohesiveness that creates the quote unquote girls club. So I think that that is going to be what's needed. And I think that that's going to be helpful in helping women rise. Yep. Our third independentious question, we're having a lot of trouble recruiting women into our company, which means we don't have a lot of female leadership. It is something we are trying to fix, though. Any thoughts? April, what do you think about this? Yeah, and I talked before about um, branding and advertising being male-dominated, especially when I first started in the business. Um, And that really, in the scheme of businesses, I think is more of a middle ground, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, We get this question a lot with things like manufacturing or traditionally male-dominated industries. And what we always say first, and we talk about this a lot, right? I think Ann and I both have the natural tendency to be trailblazers, which means we want to burn it and then start over. (laughs) And that is not what you do in these situations because there is no quick fix, right? The legacy of the company has been tied to that gender orientation for as many years as it has existed to today, right? And so you're trying to proactively change the culture. And as we've talked about on previous episodes with regards to culture, it is a difficult thing to cultivate and a very difficult thing to change. So the first thing we say is awareness is the key to get started, right? So look for things that might be hindering women from coming to the company and be really honest about that. I'm not saying you go and say it over the loudspeaker, but Mm -hmm. start to really look for those places where it's like, okay, we 
definitely have a shortage of women, which great that you've identified that. But then why do we think that is and what things are leading potentially to traditionally male or making causing them to opt out and say mm-hmm. that I don't want to work there? And some of the things that we see really do require some third party help. So I'm again, I feel like I'm the one plugging today and I'm not meaning to do that. But um, (laughs) (laughs) so this is something that, you know, we are often brought on to do. But in any case, a lot of times you need a third party for this because there are a lot of feelings involved and there are a lot of habits that need to be broken. And there are a lot of changes that are difficult to do if you're in the day-to-day and identify the level of change that needs to happen, but then put a plan in place for doing so. And so some of the areas or a combination of the areas we see that are really the culprits are Number one, people and processes. So being stuck in those traditional beliefs, not allowing for room for growth or evolution. And we've talked about maternity leave on this episode, even like very tactically specific things like and I talked about how the process for maternity leave is broken already. But those things that are set into place can be limiting and therefore it, it becomes the like, the, well, that's the way we've always done it. So we're going to continue to do it that way. And so that is a limiting point of view, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the atmosphere, the feel the place is just off or it doesn't feel like a place that a strong woman would like to work. That could be that it feels very male. It could be that it doesn't have an atmosphere. I mean, there's lots of different ways this can come to life. But I was one of the people and honestly, aesthetics are huge to me. I mean, I went to design school, right? But I literally would walk into an agency and be like, I can't work here. And if that was the case, I did not take that job. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, Desire to change. So this question says, you know, we're oriented to want to try to fix it, but you that's it's different saying it than actually putting it into action, right? We talk about that a lot. So you have to create that space for things to change. So if you have things like people and processes that are really stuck in those traditional beliefs, you got to figure out a way to start breaking some of that down. And then you need to champion it by providing all the support that you can, which very specifically is likely somewhere where you need to incentivize to get people to change their position. And then the fourth is I talked about the atmosphere and the feeling of the place, but there are actual things within the environment that will allow women to want to come and work there and things that have typically been really uncomfortable, quite frankly. So things like if you if you have women at the age of having children, do you have a room that's dedicated to them pumping? At the first agency I worked at, it was the closet with the supplies, which was all well and good until the HR person didn't know someone was in there and let themselves in. Not to mention that this poor woman was sitting on a box among the paper clips trying oh, to geez. pump, right? Fast forward to the most female-leaning organization that I worked with where they actually designated one of the rooms in the rebuild as the pumping room and did nice things like put a sink in there and a refrigerator and a space where we could actually sit and there were no windows in that space. You know, all the things that I was like, well, duh, Um, but made a huge difference and I think culturally reset the tone in a really Mm -hmm. nice way for the organization. Um. Are there daycares associated or do you have ones you partner with or recommend? Uh, Do you require uniforms? Uniforms are a big one. Typically highly, highly, highly male dominated. Anne hates polo shirts. Oh, my God. Have to say so do I. (laughs) I, No, never, ever, ever again. But it seems like to be the quintessential uniform staple. 
Yep. Or like those, you know, pullovers with the collars are always my favorite with the big logo on the one side. I'm like, it couldn't be less feminine. Anyway, a little bit of a, t- of a tangent. Um, and then this is not necessarily one of the like four hard and fast. These are the things that you can go and change. But I think that the other mistake that is often made is the knee jerk reaction when the statement is made that you need to go hire women. And so you just say, okay, we're going to go and do that. And Mm -hmm. it really becomes like a warm body type situation, right? It's like, shoot, we don't have enough women and we're not getting enough women. So we need to find women so that then more women want to work here. But I think what ends up happening there is you put people in positions and they're not the right type of woman that you want in the role. And I've seen this go sideways really fast because some of the negative things we've talked about here over the course of the episode of perception of women, the softness of them. Like if you have a highly male dominated culture, for example, and they yell to get things done and you bring in a woman who is soft spoken and non-confrontational. Yeah. You're doing the opposite of putting a woman in a place to be respected and want to stay in that environment. Yes. And that's a very straightforward example, right? But you have to really consider that. Or you might be trying to do the things we said not to as an organization. Like if she sees that and she wants to say, she might toughen up and then become a shell of who she actually is and all the benefits that she could bring to the company. So in any case, um, I I think that there's just this, it's hard to do for sure. It's especially hard if you have really truly been driven by men for that long a period of time and you just have to realize that it's going to have to happen one step at a time and also you'll probably make some mistakes along the way and that has to be okay you can't let that stop the progress from finding the right solution yeah i i think that's right on and i'll just hit a couple of the points that you said just to like really drill them home one is that you have to create the an environment both a people atmosphere that is going to be conducive to having women there. I mean, a lot of times, especially in male dominated areas in the boys clubs or whatever, if it's in more of a manufacturing environment, those have certain stereotypes with regards to how males behave in those stereotypes, in those um, environments. If that's truly your case, you're going to have a very hard time getting a woman to come into that kind of environment. Absolutely. And if they do, they're going to come in very briefly and they're going to leave. Yep. You can't use that as an excuse. Um, that's where the part of incentivizing comes in, too, which is not incentivizing necessarily of in a positive way. Sometimes it's incentivizing it in a negative way. Also fair. Right? I did so, not get that. You're right. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's like you have to think about what atmosphere that you're creating and making sure it's conducive. But I also think you're right on, April, is that you have to hire the right woman for the job. That's the other bias that a lot of women are facing right now. They are getting these jobs and all of a sudden people are saying, well, they only got them because they're women, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And, you know, yep. I would say maybe sometimes that is true, but I would say also, again, back to the point that we were making before, there is a lot of smart women. It's not just because <laughs> all of a sudden today they're smart enough to be CEOs. That's yep. just not the case. It's just because the process has finally matriculated them up to make them available to become CEOs. So, you know, let's not like, bring back the progress by, you know, starting just to kind of like infiltrate roles that aren't meant to support uh, women, just like you wouldn't do that for men. You wouldn't bring in an inexperienced male to take on a role that is not meant for them. So mm-hmm. it's the same same thing, but you have to be very mindful of that, especially if you're being this specific or this focused. 
All right. The fourth in the trenches question. I will admit I suffer or have suffered from virtually all of these at some point. How do I get past it? <laughs> well, like don't I said, worry. We're here for you. Yeah, exactly. And what I'll say, like I said in the beginning, is like, honestly, so have we. And that's okay. So here's some ways that we have worked to overcome it. So we asked the question, what can I learn from this woman? So the truth is we can always learn something because someone is in some position that we are not in that allows us to have some sort of insight that we don't currently have. They're either further along or maybe in a slightly different way or maybe they have a slightly different um, exposure or experience. All of those things help us to become better, smarter, faster, more successful. We don't have to necessarily admit that somebody else is better, smarter, faster, successful if we don't want to, but we do have to admit that we can learn from others. And that is up, down, and sideways, right? Next is we have to shut down the ego. A lot, a lot, a lot of times the ego is talking. This is what we talked about in the very beginning. You have to acknowledge it and tell it to go away. Or be quiet. Yeah, or at least be quiet for the moment, right? Because it's getting in your way. It's just holding you back. Next, you need to tie the outcome to your personal brand. So we talked a lot about how do you define your behaviors and actions and set a mantra for yourself. And the question is, I want to be known as a person who dot, dot, dot. In this case, I would fill that with, I want to be known as a person who champions the success of other women. So again, make this your legacy. Make this something that you are on a mission to uh, support and to, to rise. Become a coach or mentor and be in it for the sole purpose of wanting the other person to succeed. Do not get in a coach and mentoring job where that person's success somehow ties or reflects upon yours, except for the fact that you can now be recognized as a fantastic coach or, for t- or a fantastic mentor, okay? Make sure it's distinctly separate, but it helps you to really start building that empathy especially if that's something that you're struggling to do a little bit. Yep. And then finally, start a mastermind or a group of your own creation. Be the model. That's the best way, and that's the way that me and April decided. It's like, listen, if we don't see it, we're going to make it. Yep. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I 100% echo all of this. I, I think that this is a great summary for the episode in total. And the things that I'll add is it's also okay to learn from the mistakes of the women that have come before you. Oh, yes. And... I was always a fan and I it, it always helped my perspective, right? If I just didn't jive or I, I didn't like or I wouldn't have done things the way that a female leader would have or someone I reported to, I would very clearly start stating to myself in my head, quite honestly, I will not be fill in the blank X, Y, and Z. Yep. And agree. I then built those things over time so that I could give myself a mantra of how I was going to do better. And this requires, yes, you to check the ego, but also to check the emotion yep. and to think about objectively. It's not a right or wrong situation necessarily. It's just I don't want to be that. And so I'm going to go be this. We won't always like the people we work with or share their point of view. That just is what it is. So if it's not a person you would go to for advice and then take said advice, you just distance emotionally and you put them in a different box and you learn what you can, like Ann said, from them while you're with them. And then you're better for it in the long run because you take your other path very intentionally by identifying that in the moment. Yep. They're always there to teach you something, whether you want it or to not. be taught or not, right? Yep. All right. Our third and final segment is is a marketing smarts moment. Now, we say they could have something to do or not have something to do. And this is kind of ancillary, has something to do, or at least in a kind of a fun way. It has to do with women. It has to do with women. And actually, legacy, right? Legacy, yeah. 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 So, okay. 
All right. And, and Abraham, I'm going to be interested in your perspective because this is becoming very fun when I have a perspective and then you chime on on top. So um, my marketing smarts moments, was I was shopping with my daughter about um, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, and we were happened to be an American Eagle. And I've seen this before. I mean, this is not a new trend, but it was definitely more prevalent. And this is the idea of mom jeans. <laughs> Okay. Now I know other people have this style too, but it's very prevalent American Eagle where the point it was like five different signages of mom's jeans here, mom shorts here, mom I'm like it was mom stuff all over the place. Which I'm finding very ironically funny because when it hit me. So general rule, kids don't think their moms have any style whatsoever. This is true. Is this true? Right. Unless they're three. At three they still do. They do? Okay. I mean I want to wear my jewelry all the time. So Well, that, I, I could see that. Teenage daughters. That. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, like, actually, when you become a mom, if it, it feels like to some extent, like, you've lost all sudden coolness. Like, it like disappears. It just yeah. disappears, like, overnight. <laughs> so I find it interesting that somebody's now marketing something they're calling a mom gene. Mm-hmm. And it's become actually a popular style among, like, teens. Mm-hmm. Right? Now... I will say they honestly look like more like jeans I wore in the 80s. Yes. Like, I don't even wear these mom's jeans today. Like, mm-hmm. I don't wear those jeans. Like, so now I'm really confused as to is it making fun of moms because they wore these jeans in the 80s? <laughs> or are they making fun of moms in their current style? Like, I'm, I'm just very confused because the other thing that makes this even like blow my mind even more is it? It's not a flattering style. No, on like ninety nine percent of women, you have to be a stick, and even but if with you're a butt. stick, yeah, a stick with your butt, like because it else it's just like it looks like it's bagging, really thin off. waist. Yeah. It, yeah, it looks horrible on most people. It's not flattering. So yeah. now, are they saying that moms don't know how to dress themselves, and it's like really unflattering? I'm just super confused. Like, and this is like that's why I wanted to bring this up because like part of me like wants to say, oh, my kid wants to just be like me, but mm-hmm. I'm like. I don't dress like that. Mm -mm. I dress like that when I was their age in the 80s, and maybe that's the point. So, I don't know. April, what do you think? Because I'm I'm super confused. So, usually I'm the overthinker of the two. So, this is a funny seat for me to be sitting in because this is where my mind usually goes. So, I guess I'm rubbing off somewhat. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I make all these stories and observations and, you know, judgments in my mind. Um, Anyway, so my very surface level interpretation of mom jeans was that at the period of time in the 80s when we were that age that was the style and now that style has come back and we are at the phase of being the mom however based on the well rabbit hole you just went down um (laughs) i'm realizing that that really actually makes no sense. And funnily enough, when I think of mom jeans in my head, I immediately picture my mother who really then breaks down this even further because she's not wearing mom jeans. I'm not wearing mom jeans, but these teenage girls are wearing mom Mom jeans, jeans. quote unquote. And it's almost like it's generally generationally the wrong style that has come back if that was the interpretation that like our age wore these because that's not true all right so i am really it's like the high-waisted like yeah high-waisted very kind of baggy very wide leg yeah 
All right, so maybe it's bell bottom inspired, which would be. But well, again, no, that's my mom's bell age. Goes like this. Yes, they go yeah. out like like bells. I, like, all right. So I'm choosing to be insulted. So that's okay. what I'm getting from this because okay. I find it like a tad bit insulting for you know moms in general to feel that this style is reflective of them in some way. Now they call it '80s jeans, and okay, fine. I yeah, think I can see that that would term. be the case. Yeah, but yeah. I don't. It just it's just a weird marketing branding yep. exercise, and yep. I'm just so like blown away that it actually stuck. Okay. Oh, I'm never going to see mom jeans the same. Thank no. you, Anne. I know, and you'll see signs everyone. So now oh, there's my old mom. I can't shorts. unsee it. I know. All right. I mean, I remember the. Never mind. I won't even go there. The first time one of my kids came home, and I'm like, "What are you wearing? You need to take those back right now." All right. So just to recap, the four big mistakes women leaders make in managing other women. We had to pay our dues, and so must you. As you trailblaze, don't let the path close behind you. Remember, all those who come after will pay their dues. It will just look different. Second, thinking we are more special than other females. Recognize smart women and help create opportunity for them to rise. Third, we see our female direct reports as competition. Don't let a scarcity mindset create insecurity. And finally, we try to be like men. Don't shed your femaleness in favor of, of the more stereotypical leadership characteristics that have long been practiced by males in leadership roles. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.